Well, nice to have you here this morning. I want to I want to start with a question. What is a fig leaf, a rainbow, a donkey, a communion cup, and a wedding ring have in common? A what? Oh, it's in the it's in the bulletin, isn't it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, what is a fig leaf? What is a rainbow? What is a donkey? What is a communion cup? And what does a wedding ring have in common? Covenants. Covenants, right? Um, In one way or one one shape or another, they're related in some way to the covenants of the Bible. Um, And and how many of you have ever recognized that they're all related in in, in some way? That this thing called covenant, we're going to talk about a huge theological topic this morning, okay? I'm going to be very honest with you. This is a huge theological topic. In fact, this topic is probably one of the biggest theological topics in the Bible that rarely gets talked about. You you hear it all the time, you know, like like last, by the way, last night, Jason Snellgrove and, and Don Baines got married, right? You know, Jason Snellgrove, what a, yeah, woo! Yeah, yeah. So they so they entered into this covenant last night. It was just a it was beautiful. It was just a beautiful time to see them come together. Um, but and I was thinking, you know, I got to talk about covenants this morning, and it absolutely was a celebration of a covenant. Covenant is probably one of the most difficult theological principles to understand in the Bible, and 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 uh, you know, it is so complex so so difficult i'm only going to give you the 30,000 foot view today okay it's that's 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 exactly what what i'm going to give you because it's part because it's 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 required to me for your life group stuff okay so we're going to we're going to put that but the the problem is if you don't understand the covenants of the bible you're going to have difficulty understanding how the whole thing comes together here's a really neat thing about the bible and something that i find absolutely amazing is that, you know, we talk about the Bible as a complete book and 40 different authors written over like 1,600 years and the way that the whole book came together. It's fascinating to me that you take such a complex theological principle like a covenant and these writers over centuries were able to write a cohesive understanding of covenants, even though they never talked together, even though they never compared notes, even though, you know, they lived in different parts of, of the world for many of them. Um, and yet they brought this whole theological understanding of covenants to bear over the entire Bible. So this is, this is a very important topic that we're going to talk about this morning. Like, and, and if any of you are, are, are theologically trained at all, I'm going to frustrate you today because I'm going to miss so much. Okay? This is just going to be the highlights. There, there, there are terms or there are going to be uh, aspects of covenants that you, you know that I'm going to miss. And, I, and, and one of, this has been one of the hardest messages because normally when you're putting a message together, it's more about what you leave out than what you put in. Okay, because it's it's so complex. So I'm going to frustrate. In fact, I, I thought I'd guard myself from this particular topic. So in in your life group material, there's actually three links. Uh, two of them, two really good articles about covenants. If you wanted to study some more, at the very back of your pages, and also um, I'm going to give you a secret website that I go to quite a bit. That is probably the best website if you're interested in in the Hebrew Old Testament. If you're interested in learning Hebrew or anything like that, the very best. I think the best website on the planet that talks about the Hebrew Old Testament and how it relates to Christians 
is hebrewforchristians.com, okay? And I have the link in, in, in your bulletin in the uh, Life Group stuff as well. It is an absolutely amazing website, and the person that puts it together um, is, is, is really talented at putting all those pieces together. So if you ever have a question about the Hebrew Old Testament or anything like that, that is the go-to website, okay? So I gave you a, I gave you a secret uh, this morning about, you know, where, where a lot of scholars and, and people uh, who have to talk about this topic often go to, okay? So we're going to talk about uh, covenants and uh, they cover the entire Bible. Now, there's a lot of argument how many covenants there are. There are typically uh, eight covenants, you know, the Edenic, uh, Adamic, uh, Mosaic, Abrahamic. Um, one, and the one, one covenant that we're going to talk about and really center on is this new covenant called the new covenant. Every time we do communion, you probably hear that repeated. Jesus says, you know, I bring, you know, the new covenant through my blood. Um, that that is something that Jesus instituted for the church today. All of us who are sitting here, if we claim any faith in Jesus Christ, we are part of what is called the new covenant. The new covenant is so important. The, the covenants in the Bible is the way that God tells us how he's interacting with his creation. And through different times in history, he's interacted with, with creation in, in different ways and, and with humanity in different ways. And the covenants are often the way that God stipulates the rules by which he operates. So let me give you some basic definitions uh, where a covenant is an agreement between two people or two parties involving promises each makes to the other. Now, right away, this is where it gets complicated because... In the Old Testament times, you know, two nations, two equal parties would get together. That's called a parity agreement. That's called a parity covenant. And these are two equal individuals, two equal nations, two equal kings that are making an agreement with each other. That's basic covenant understanding. But then God comes along and, and, and does something a little different. And creates what's called a Caesarean covenant, which is totally, totally different. And this is this is the this is the four parts of, of this different covenants that that God institutes. When God institutes a covenant, it's far different than just equals. The very first point is they are between the divine, Jesus, you know, God as the Creator is greater to His creation, which is lesser. Okay. That is part of the covenant that God, that God makes. God is in charge. He's large and in charge, right? And, and we are his, his subjects. We are his creation. And God makes promises to us as his people. Okay? Number one. So number two is solemnized by a sacrifice. If you, if you look, for instance, the Abrahamic, we're going to talk about the Abrahamic coming for a few minutes. God makes a sacrifice and says, this is what binds this agreement together. That the animal, that the, the blood that we shed in this animal binds and makes this covenant everlasting. All right? So, so that's what happens. Number three is meant as a permanent arrangement. It's, it's meant to last. And, and, and with a lot of the covenants in the Bible... They get changed a little bit because of their permanence. Like, like we're going to talk about how Jesus fulfills all the covenants in, in the Bible, um, which is really a cool thing. You see, we talk about Jesus as a fulfillment of the law. 
But Jesus is much more than a fulfillment of the law. He's fulfillment of all the messianic promises. We're going to talk about that next week. He's the fulfillment of all the covenantal promises. Jesus is everything. Jesus is like the culmination of almost everything the Bible talks about. When he talks about being the fulfillment of the law, it's not just the law. It's the fulfillment of the covenants. It's the fulfillment of, of the messianic promises. So it's a big deal. So when people say, oh, the Bible, you know, all, all this kind of stuff, they have no idea just how theologically precise the entire thing is as it points towards Jesus. So there's, there's, you know, I have to tell you, there's no other faith that combines all these elements that culminate in one person. The divine human characteristics of Jesus Christ. All right? So menta is a permanent and involves the whole person. You know, people say to me, what's the difference between a contract when two people get married or a covenant? Right? And it's a, 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 whole, a whole different. A contract can be based on the externals. Right? In, in, in the Old Testament, if there's a particular skill that you have, you can contract that person in an agreement um, to, uh, to have a deal together business-wise because you've got, you've got a skill that they want. But these covenants in, are, are the whole person. It's everything you're all in. Absolutely. And the covenants are often based on the character and the nature of God. When God makes a promise in a covenant... He's not going to back out of it. He's not going to, you know, not complete the, uh, the stipulations of the covenant. So they're very, 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 very important. So that's, those, those are the, 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 the specifics to a Caesarean treaty covenant that we have in the Bible. Here are the big three, all right? And again, not everybody's going to agree with this. Here, here, here are the big three. Abrahamic covenant. In the Old Testament, in Genesis 12, God pulls the single man out of Ur of the Chaldees. And he makes a promise and he makes a covenant. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to multiply your seed. I am going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And at the very beginning of Genesis... This promise comes, this covenant comes, that people who have a faith like Abraham, a, has a faith that, that is identified as, as, as a faith that is pure and simple and, and complete and surrendered to God, that those people are going to have the same promises and the same righteousness and the same salvation that Abraham had. You have to remember, the covenant with Abraham came before the law. It, became, it came before Moses. It came before the whole sacrificial system was actually put in place in the Old Testament. That long before any of those rules and strictures and rituals, before any of that came, Abraham, as a single individual, pulled out of nations of people and said, You are the model of what faith is going to look like. And it's going to be so important. There's a, there's a sign uh, that God gave Abraham, and that was circumcision. Circumcision is a blood ritual, by the way. And a reminder that all we ever produce is sinner after sinner after sinner after sinner after sinner after sinner after sinner. 
Okay? It is, a, it is and, and, you know, uh, I, I know, I know there's always been this argument about health benefits and all that stuff. When we start looking at health benefits or diet benefits or that, we're often missing the point of why the rituals inst- instituted in the first place. It is first and foremost a separation of yourself to God and a reminder of a covenant that you're making with God. Okay? Um, you guys tracking with me? I know this is heavy theological stuff this morning. All right? So Abraham. Second is Mosaic. Or you might hear Sinaitic. Um, when the law came down at, at Sinai, the, the Mosaic covenant, that Moses became the mediator of the law. He's the one that, that God, you know, used to bring the law. So Moses is the Mosaic covenant and the covenant with Israel and saying, hey, you know, here are the laws. This is the way you live with me. And the sign of the Mosaic covenant is the Sabbath. The Sabbath law became primary important. That's why when Jesus shows up on the scene and, and he showed up with the, uh, with the Pharisees, that much of what Jesus was doing with the Sabbath law became such, an, a, you know, such a problem for religious leaders. If you read the Gospels, every time Jesus did something, he almost intentionally did it on the Sabbath. You've got to wonder if Jesus didn't just intentionally do it on the Sabbath, right? Because this is what he's challenging. You know, they had big, they had made the Sabbath day so strict, so limited, such a box. Okay, because this was a sign of the Mosaic covenant and, and being faithful to that. So, you know, Jesus recognized that they had made this such a holy thing that they were missing some of, of you know, the, the freedom that God had given by giving this particular Sabbath day. That's why Jesus challenged it so much of the Mosaic Covenant. So here, here's the third one that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the sign in a minute, a couple of signs in a minute. But the New Covenant, right? The New Covenant is, is what we're living under today. It's such an important covenant. You rarely hear um, this idea of being in the New Covenant. In fact, it's shocking to me. It's absolutely shocking to me that... The Jewish people at the time of Jesus were fully aware that this new covenant was looming over the entire Bible. It was almost as much of a promise coming as the Messiah himself. And the people would have been anticipating, you know, what are you, what are you anticipating in your life? You, you know, if you're a believer here, you're, you know, you're probably anticipating a rapture eventually. You're probably anticipating heaven, all those kinds of things. For the Jewish people, a new covenant was kind of like the embrace of what was coming next for God. Jesus doesn't mention it until just before he's going to the cross. Which is startling to me. It's not, you know, you don't have him walking around healing people and say, okay, I'm going to bring the new covenant. I'm going to bring the new. He, he waits. He waits until just before his crucifixion. And then he pulls, you know, he, he turns the switch on. And for the disciples in that room, they would have been, wow. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, they had no idea that Jesus was going to the cross. What all of that meant. The cross, burial, resurrection. But they would have been absolutely stunned when he said, this is going to represent the new covenant in my blood. What it would have signaled to them is that God is about to do something amazing. Because they would have been so steeped in the covenants and understanding that this is the way God 
operates in the world. This is what God brings to the world. This is how God makes, makes his involvement in the world obvious. And when Jesus said that, that would have signaled that things are about to change dramatically. That this is not just going to be an average day. That whatever Jesus is about to do is going to change everything. See, we don't, we don't get that. You know, as, as Christians, we look back on the, on the New Testament. We know Jesus is about to go to the cross. We know Jesus is about, you know, to, to have this glorious resurrection. And we get all of that. But what we miss is what, what Jesus brings as a fulfillment of the entire Old Testament promises. That the minute he said that, they wouldn't have known exactly how it materializes, but it would have signaled that one of the biggest movements of God is about to happen. And the world is never going to be the same. Ever going to be the same. Okay, this, this, new, this new covenant. So here's, here's the point I want to make from all this. Jesus, just as Jesus fulfilled the law, we talked about that last week. Just as Jesus fulfilled the law, he also became the culmination of the promises found in the Old Testament covenants. You know, what was promised to Abraham, what was promised to Moses, what was promised, you know, at, in the Garden of Eden. You know, uh, in Genesis 3.15, that one day this Messiah is going to come and bring all of this to completion, all of this to fruition. That culminates in, in Jesus. And we'll talk next week about the Messianic promises. All through the Old Testament, a Messiah is going to come. A Messiah is going to come. A Messiah is going to come. This person's going to change the world. And Jesus, when he shows up, everybody goes, oh, wait a minute. He fulfills the law. He fulfills the covenant. He fulfills the messianic promises. This is not just some average, everyday prophet. He is much, much, much more. Look at this passage out of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is really um, an important book for understanding this entire covenant. In fact, the book of Hebrews repeats the covenantal promises out of jeremiah 31 and in fact what's really interesting is the largest section of the old testament that is lifted out of the old testament and put in the new testament is the new covenant out of jeremiah 31 okay that's how important it is it's literally lifted right out of the hebrew put in the greek text and plopped right into the book of hebrews okay and it's actually repeated twice there's a condensed version. There's the full version. That's how important this principle is. But we rarely, we, you know, I, guilty as charged, but we rarely talk about it. That's how important this whole new covenant umbrella is to the world. So under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. This is Hebrews 9, verses 13 to 15. Hebrews 9, 13 to 15. So he's talking about the old system. Right? Okay? And by the way, Old Testament means Old Covenant. That's what the word Testament means. It's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. 
perfect, superior, once for all. Those are common words in the book of Hebrews. It's just such a done deal. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. So that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised for them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. Isn't that amazing? And, and yet, and, you know, I, again, I know this is a deep theological subject, but, but it's so rich. If there's one thing we have as, as, as people of the book, people of the Bible, is that this isn't just an emotional experience. This is not just a, the way I feel. This is rich with history and theology and something that has carried us for centuries. So anyway, let me, let me, let me keep going. Here's the scope of the new covenant, all right? Um, which is, uh, again, a uh, condensed view of the entire Bible. But it was initiated at the fall. At Genesis 3.15, you know, just after the fall, just after the curses of everything that happened and, and the world now became broken, God makes this promise in Genesis 3.15 that a day is going to come. When, when going to bruise the heel and, and, and that whole kind of imagery that, that is brought out in that, in that passage in, in Genesis. But what initiates right there and then is that even though everything is not perfect as God intended, chaos is back in the picture. God is one day going to do something about it. And it's going to be complete and it's going to be finished. And the very things, the very chaos that we have right now isn't going to have the final say in life. It's not going to have the final say that God is working something out. Secondly of all, it's promised through Abraham. As I said earlier, Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 gets this promise from God. And it is one person. You've got to understand, God does the most amazing things when he starts small. God could have, you know, you know he started with Abraham and then he built a, a, a nation of slaves. And then he took on the world. Through a simple promise, through a simple uh, covenant that he made through Abraham. Next, number three is prophesied by Jeremiah. One of, one of Jeremiah, like in the exile of the Jewish people, made this promise in, in Jeremiah 31. That is known that I'm going to make a new covenant. And the new covenant stipulations is basically the stuff that is written on stone is going to end up in the hearts of people. And it's going to be a personal relationship. And it's going to be those laws, instead of written on, on stone, are going to be laws that are written on our hearts. It's going to be all about this relational component that we have with God. And this covenant is going to be this, this beautiful umbrella that we live under. Four, confirmed at the Last Supper. And as I said before, Jesus picked up that cup. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And, we, and every month here at Village Green, that's how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We hear that terminology. We hear that word. But historically, it goes back to the fall and back to the time of Adam and Eve. Number five, it's ratified at the cross resurrection. Everything about Jesus gets confirmed at the cross and resurrection. Everything that Jesus promised, everything that Jesus said he was, everything about, about healing and, and touching and being the voice of God and being the very person of the divine himself came all at the cross and the resurrection. Realized at Pentecost, you know, 
what is it, 40 days later, the, the, the 50 days later, the, the, the church is birthed. The entire church is birthed. Right? In Acts 2, the Spirit of God comes with power. And suddenly, suddenly, what is talked about in the New Covenant, the Spirit of God coming, the church is infused not by a list of rules, but there is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the New Covenant is. Seven, and it's the present experience of all true, all true believers. This is the reality of what we live under. And when, you, when, I, when I look at the Bible, when I, when, even when I do a marriage ceremony, I'm thinking, you know what? This is the promise of God over the two of you. And if you commit yourself to God, we always talk about marriage being this triangle, right? That it's got this horizontal element, husband and wife, but it's got this vertical element where you're one under God. Where you're one under God. And the responsibility is to God. And it's more about, it's more about the promises that God has made and the relationship you have with each other as you relate to God that makes the power of the covenant for a marriage far more than just, I I love this person because they make me feel good. That's the present experience of all true believers. All right, test question. What are the two symbols of the new covenant? Do you know? I, I kind of I cheated. I've kind of been telling you one all, all along. Right? What are the signs of the new covenant? Number one is the Lord's Supper. That's actually a sign of the new covenant. Right? That's why Jesus says, remember. Remember me. Remember me. Right? Do you know what the second one is? Baptism. Baptism. I love baptisms. I love baptisms. You know why? Because I get to get wet in front of all bunch of people. Right? That's why I like baptisms. Baptisms are awesome. And, and, and you know, we've done so many baptisms, but what I love about baptisms is... Most of them, most of them say something like, um, I messed up at some point and God showed up in my life and changed everything. Or I wandered away for a while. The thing about the new covenant that makes baptism so powerful is, is we've all known people who've walked away. We've all known people who struggled. We've all known people had those moments where they doubted. We've all known people that, you know, wondered if, if continuing faith was even worth it. But the thing about the new covenant is no matter where we crash, no matter where we get diverted, no matter where we stumble, make mistakes, all, all of that stuff that we can potentially have as human beings, the reality is, is because of the promises of God, we can always come back and find ourselves in the embrace of our Heavenly Father, who for centuries has made this covenant and planned this course of action and given a trajectory to humanity and life. And because it's God, the promises that He makes He's not going to retract. 
And we can stumble time and again. But because of the new covenant, because of what Jesus has done, because of the promises that the new covenant give, we can, we can come before God through Jesus Christ. We can ask for that forgiveness. We can ask for that compassion. We can ask for that mercy. And there is nothing, there is nothing that we can humanly do that the compassion and the grace of God cannot cover. That's the power of the new covenant. We celebrate that in so many ways. We celebrate that in so many ways. But written throughout every book of the Bible is this eternal covenant of grace that's over top of all of it. And even though we get into the details and we pull it apart and all that kind of stuff, the fact of the matter is we live under the promises of God who is faithful to live by the very rules he creates for himself. That's a God I want to serve. Amen? Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, uh, you know, a tough subject. I know it's a lot of detail and, and it spans the scope of the entire Bible. But Lord, what an encouragement to think that you've orchestrated this right from the beginning. That through your character and your promises, we, we rest and we live in response to that. Lord, I love your faithfulness. I know I can be up and down. I can be all over the place at times. But I love the fact that when I wander, home is always within reach. So, Lord, as we reflect on the new covenant, as we get into our life groups, Lord, I pray, I pray that we would really sense the wonder of what this means for us, deep in our hearts, deep in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.